Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone. Hey, I have a good one in store for you today. But okay, before we get there, I want to invite you on a vacation with me. Um, Mark your calendars for February 11th to 17th, 2018 for a co-ed surf retreat in Costa Rica. So today's guest, Colleen Cannon, is the founder of Women's Quest. Before retreats were a thing, before women's only anything was a thing, before the internet even, there was Colleen. (laughs) She discovered her calling early on. She just knew she needed to create a way to bring women together for self-love, self-care, and empowerment. And I'm finally in a place in my life where I need a retreat. So I've always wanted to learn to surf, but I have never carved out time to make it happen. And hell, I am 45. It is time. So I thought about the possibility of going on one of her retreats and where I am in my life and my family. And I decided that I wanted to include them in this adventure. That's why I've chosen the co-ed retreat, which also, by the way, will have a kids quest version. So the kids learn the same kind of stuff as the adults learn. And I am very positive that Wilder will pick up surfing a lot faster than me. Anyway, Tim Wilder and I are going to Colleen's Costa Rica surf and yoga and maybe some mountain biking retreat next February. Um, I actually will turn 46 on the last day, so it will be a banner trip. So you have to check this out. Womensquest.com. The It's all going to be in the show notes. They need at least five couples to make this a go. Um, so actually, you can go solo. It'll cost, I think, $2,600 if you go solo, but that includes everything except your airfare. It's amazing. Luxury, a resort, I mean, everything. All the lessons with these really good-looking instructors from what I could tell online. (laughs) You can go uh, with your partner. You can bring a friend, girlfriend, whatever. Um, And if you go with someone, it's $200 off each person, which is really cool. Just mention this podcast or Skirt Sports, I think, is the code. Um, Okay, so let's move on. Let's move on to said guest. So today you will hear the story of Colleen Cannon, one of the most prolific triathletes for at least a decade back in the 80s and 90s. She's a world champion, multiple time national champion, but her background wasn't as a purist swim biker runner. She rode horses and she still does. Um, You will hear a lot about that. Colleen has the best energy around. I really, I want to have her on the show again because I feel like we just barely scratched the surface on so many incredible topics and it was over an hour long. (laughs) So as I say, we often go long. All right, everyone. I hope you're ready for a Colleen energy infusion. Let's bring her on. 
All right, you ready? Yes. Yes! I think you just said rock on. What generation does that come from? (laughs) Every generation. (laughs) You're absolutely right. Yeah, you're right. Well, Colleen, thank you so much for coming over. It's been too long since we've hung out. Oh, totally. Man, you, it's funny. I was just in a meeting this morning. I said, well, I'm going home to interview a legend. And they said, who is it? And I said, Colleen Cannon. They go, oh, she's the writer for the Daily Camera? I go, no, different legend. <laughs> you, you don't know triathlon. They didn't know triathlon in your defense. Because, man, you have done so much in this sport and so much for women. It's incredible. I can't wait to dig in. Awesome. I know. Okay, well, let's, uh, you're, you are one of the highest energy, most fun people I know. And we're going to get into this today, so it's not going to be any surprise. I go, Tim, she was, she's 60? No. No way. You're over 60 years old? No, I'm 56. You're 56. I saw, I saw a, um, your birthday as being different online. Oh, it was not. So you have to check that. It was, I was born in 1960. No, there was an article that said there was a certain date and I added it up and it said you were 62 years old. Wow, yeah. that's awesome. And I go, she looks really, 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 really good. Well, guess what? You look really, really good for 56, too. I say that age is really nothing. You know, it's just a number. We're all, I just pretend that I'm six all the time. Because mm-hmm. every day is filled with wonder and hope and newness. Like every day, it doesn't really matter your age. Oh my gosh, I Age love is that. such a nothing. I know, that's so true. And that's why it's not even embarrassing that I just asked if you were 60. When no, I, no. I mean, I learned don't to surf even, yeah. at 50. Did you really? Yeah. Like, And now I surf bigger waves. But I mean, at 50, I'm like, oh, I better do everything on my bucket list. So I'm going to learn to surf. So there's hope for me. Oh, God. You're going to rock. You're going to really do well on that. Oh, I can't wait to start surfing. Which, uh, okay, we're going to get into Women's yeah, yeah. Quest. But really quick, just so I can take a note, which, which Women's Quest should I do for learning to surf? Uh, the Costa Rica Surf and Yoga Retreat. All right. When is that? So we have one in November. Okay. We have one in February, and we have a co-ed one in February as well. Oh, oh So Tim cool. can come too. Oh, that would be fun. Okay. All right, everybody. We're coming back to Women's Quest in these cool retreats because I really, I kind of like to start more from the beginning. Yeah. So we can really understand how you came to this really incredible place in your life. Um, I've done, of course, my research, and I've known you for years. You did not grow up an only child. No, not at all. I was actually one of eight. So my parents were divorced when I was younger, and uh, my dad remarried, and there were five in my real family. I was number four out of five, and my dad remarried someone that had three children. And so we were real the, we were the original Brady Bunch. There were four girls, four boys. Um, so somebody asked me, well, how did you learn to compete? And I'm like, well, at the dinner table. You know, you learned, like, you have to go in and get what you want. You have to focus on what you want, you get it, and then you're okay. Well, wait, if you don't get what you want to eat, everyone else eats it? Yeah. You have to, like, get in there fast. <laughs> it's like, oh, are you going to eat that? You know, let me eat it off your plate. Oh, yeah, my so, gosh. So did you all sit down and actually have family dinner? Yes, Oh, that is such an incredible lost art, I think. Oh, I totally agree. And we kind of had a rule that you had to be there. You had to be at home. I think it was around five or six in the winter time. So when you know when you want to stay out and play all night, it's it's was, put a damper on me. But I always went back, and everybody told stories. And my dad used to ask us, you know, the capitals of all the states. And my brothers and sisters were always really good at it. So luckily, I could be in the background and just listen. Oh my gosh! So how where do you fall in the pecking order? I'm number seven out of eight. Oh geez. Or four out of five in my real family. Okay, but they're all real. 
Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. They are all real. You're so funny. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So uh, so at number seven out of eight, you had to be scrappy, I bet. Totally. And the, the good thing about being later, um, you know, like down the line as being a child, was that everybody in the front of you got in trouble for everything. And by the time they got to seven, they were like, just let her do what she wants. You know, she just, she can be fine. She's just going to follow everybody else around. So you hear that, you guys? If you're going to have eight kids, by the time you get to number seven, you're finally going to be relaxed. <laughs> yeah. So by that time, I had relaxed parents. I could do what I wanted. I could go play. And the other thing was we always had our own teams. Like we had enough for a football team. We had a basketball team. Oh, we, my gosh. Yeah, we would all go and do things together. So we had our own teams. And kids would come to our house because we were the team. And so was it the Cannons? Yes. Oh, the okay, cannons. cool. So you kept your name. Yes, I this kept my name. This is awesome. Okay, so where did you grow up? Well, I grew up in Terre Haute, Indiana, mm -hmm. a Hoosier hick. And um, I was actually talking about how I got into sport was that I started as a, I was six years old and as I was living with my mother at the time and um, we wanted to go, you know, just go play. And she, she, she was always telling us, just go outside, you know, as a mom would it. But at that time it was safe. Just go outside and play because she knew that nature was important. So we lived kind of in the country of North Terre Haute in Indiana. And um, one day I was just running about two miles, you know, as a kid would just through the woods. And I came upon these barns full of horses. And I went through all of the barns and I was like, oh, this is amazing. And I found this little horse named Buttercup and I stopped at her stall and I was like, oh, this will be my horse. And I didn't understand that people owned horses. So I- Wait, you just thought they were like there for the taking? Well, I didn't know they were there for the taking, but I was just like, <laughs> oh, look at all these horses. This one will be mine. <laughs> and how old were you at the time? Again? I was six. Mm -hmm. I was in between the first and second grade. And I stopped there and I, um, I would bring her my bazooka bubblegum wrappers and tape them in her stall and, and brush her and did everything. And finally, the guy that owned these horses, Doc Garish, saw me and he was like, oh, hello, do you ride? And I'm like, yes, of course I ride. You know, I've never been on a horse in my life. So that started my fantasy and my, my learning with horses was about six years old. And I would run back and forth to the barn every day because my mom wasn't into giving us transportation, you know, all over the place. Oh, of course. So wherever we wanted to go, we had to get there. Oh, so my gosh. I ended up running there to the barn and back, and that's how I became a runner. I love, okay, there's so many cool things about this. I love that you have the wherewithal to just say, why, yes, I ride. Yeah. As if, yes. <laughs> of course I ride. <laughs> I mean, maybe at six you thought you did, because in your dream mind, in your imagination, yes. you were riding this little buttercup. Oh, yes, my goodness. Totally. So did buttercup become yours? Yes. So Doc Garish, um, oh you know, he, wow. he said, well, you can ride Buttercup and you just ride behind me. So for years, I just rode behind him. And then I became really good. And we went to 4-H together. And I won all kinds of trophies on this little horse. She was actually in between a horse and a pony, but they considered her a pony. But you didn't weren't set up in your house to no. have horses. No, no, not at all. So you boarded Buttercup where she grew up. Right. Well, actually, Doc Garish kept ownership of her. And I just okay. went there to ride her every day. Oh, my Lord. And then I fed horses and I cleaned stalls and things like that. Well, and so you were doing two of the five sports of modern pentathlon yes. at six years old. I know. I should have gone into the pentathlon. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. I don't either. I know. I didn't it's even know about it. So what's so special about horses? Oh, you know, I think horses are just like big teddy bears. 
on, you know, they're just amazing. And they have this frequency of the earth. So when you get around a horse, it's very grounding for you. And it's very um, healing for you. So because I was from a broken home and didn't really understand my place in the world, the horses made me feel safe. Um, I felt confident. I felt comfortable. They're just always... Um, they mirror to you exactly what you're thinking in a way. So if you get on a horse and you're afraid, they will be afraid. But if you're on a horse and you're calm and you're like I was as a child, like this is going to be a great adventure, you know, that horse and I went everywhere and without any fear. So they taught me to be fearless because at first I was a little afraid, but, you know, as you continue riding, you develop more confidence. So I really say that the horses brought me into that place in my life where I could, oh, I can do anything. You know, I can ride a horse. You know, there's a theme to this, though, in general, when you start something new and you're fearful and you don't know the first time you're scared to death and it can be a horrible experience, but the more you just buck up and do it, the more confidence you gain. Yeah, absolutely. And that happens through our retreats. But as a child, I learned it. And luckily, Doc Garish took me step by step. You know, so he knew that if usually horses like to go in a pack or in a herd, so his horse and my horse were buddies. And so I just followed him everywhere. It gave him, you know, companionship with me because we would be buddies and the horses were buddies. So it was, it was really nice. So this Doc Garish, you keep bringing up his name. Tell us a little more about him because he seems like a real mentor, larger than life kind of person to you. Mm -hmm. He was totally as growing up and he was from Terre Haute, Indiana and he was a doctor, you know, but an old timey doctor. So he was probably 60, 70 when I met him. I bet he was my age. <laughs> or the when age I, I, I read yeah. that you were. <laughs> anyway, and he was very gentle, very loving, very giving, and just said, of course you can, this can be your horse. And, you know, he saw that I really had this passion and I wanted to be there and I was there all the time, whether he wanted it or not. And so I was there. I just showed up and I'm just like, this is where I'm going to stay. Yes. Well, and it's interesting that running was a part of this equation. It was, it was, oh, I could just see how you could fall in love with running because it's leading you every day to this other thing that you love so much. It's just part of your journey. Right. And I became very fast because sometimes I would stay at the barn too late and I would have to run home at night. So I would be flying. And I forgot to tell you that in between the barn and our house, it was a cemetery. <laughs> so it was like a two mile cemetery. I've never even heard of a two-mile cemetery. I know. It was like a long (laughs) cemetery. So was it kind of just really freaky, so you sprinted through it? Yeah, yeah. Were you literally running through like headstones? No, yeah, they were flat. For some reason, they kept most of them flat. (laughs) But I was always nervous that I would fall in a hole like that had been dug or something. I was like, oh, my gosh. I know. But I I never fell in a hole because I could see enough. But I I was a little bit like Forrest Gump. Because in the fifth and sixth grade, um, I was at ISU, which is the Indiana State University, um, just hanging out. My sister was going to school there. And these kids were running around the track. And I'm like, oh, they're doing what I do. So I go to the track. And there, um, I just start running around. And, you know, this is really fun. But they were actually training. It was the Terre Haute Track Club. And the guy, Terry Brown, he saw me and he said, here, take this little... um, it was like the, the little thing that you pass off to each other, the baton, they call it, and give it to the next girl. And we're going to see if, you know, you want to be on a relay. And I'm like, okay. So I take the baton, just like Forrest Gump would, and I kept running around the track, like for a mile, because I was like, I didn't see anyone to hand off to. And he said, he stopped me at the end of the mile and was like, okay, well, which girl did you want me to hand off to? And he goes, okay, you just ran under a six-minute mile. 
So we think that you should be on our track team. But at wow. that time, they only had distances, the 100 and the 200. He tricked you. Well, he didn't know. I mean, he didn't know. I just no, didn't see I know. which girl so to hand funny. it to. Yeah. And he didn't know that I would just keep running. But that was like normal for me. It wasn't like I wasn't even tired. I was like, yeah, okay. And I go, you just want me to run 100 yards? I go, that seems awfully short. And you're like, I'm not, <laughs> you probably weren't as good at it. I'm sure you were no, great at no, it, but no, not nearly it, as not, good. Not as yeah. good as running the long distances. Gosh, that is such an amazing start. It's like despite yourself, yeah. you were becoming a world-class athlete. But I think you kind of walk into those places, those opportunities. They're just, the door opens yeah. for you. It, it does. But you know, you became uh, a standout swimmer somehow then right. along the way. So how did that fall? So that happened in Indiana. So I actually was swimming in Indiana a lot and um, because they have really big time teams mm -hmm. and they had something called the um, AAU. The, so it was like for younger mm -hmm. kids that were coming up that would swim. I'm not that much younger than oh. <laughs> I have AAU ribbons somewhere oh. in the archives. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So in Indiana, I swam AAU. And when I was 14, I went to Alabama to live with my dad. So, you know, my parents were divorced and in high school. I went to live with my dad and they didn't have a swim team. So, but they had a lake. So I would swim all around the lake mm -hmm. and I would go water skiing and things like that. And when I got to high school, so I'm coming from Indiana now, where they had Girls Athletic Association. We did volleyball, basketball, bowling, you know, wrestling, everything, you know, badminton, tennis. They had every sport you could ever imagine for women. I get to Alabama and I'm so excited to go to the school. And they said, well, we have baton twirling. You can twirl the baton or you can be in the band. She goes, that, that's also very athletic. And I'm like, I looked at my dad. I'm like, oh my God, what will I do? What about my swimming? So he decided to drive me to Huntsville, um, which had Huntsville Swim Association, HSA, um, like once or twice a week to keep up my swimming. And I had to swim in a little teeny tiny pool in somebody's indoor pool in Scottsboro. So, or I swam in the lake. So I had to actually train myself most of the time. Wow, so swimming had really become your passion over running, even with all that early you know, indication of becoming a great runner, swimming was in your heart. Yeah, I loved swimming. I loved being in the water, feel kind of like a fish most of the time. And I ended up going to some swim camps in Gainesville, Florida, which got a little bit more recognition for me. They're like, okay, you do pretty good. I think well, we're going to get you to go to Auburn University, mm -hmm. which was where all the good swimmers were going at the time with Richard Quick. But the thing was that I trained myself, so I trained very little compared to what re regular swimmers right, did. Right, right, right. Yep. So I wasn't used. I was used to maybe swimming a thousand yards tops or fifteen hundred tops. And I got to college and they were swimming like 6,000 meters oh, in the yeah. practice. Oh, yeah. And I thought I was going to die. But oh, geez, that'll boost you to another level. This is really interesting because, you know, I grew up swimming in Chicago. Yeah. And I we used to hang out with the Carmel Swim Club. Oh, wow. And they were fast. Yeah. And that's in Indiana. Indiana. Which Indiana is known for nothing. But they swimming. have the Carmel Swim Club. <laughs> yeah. And they were awesome. I'm sorry, people from Indiana. You no, and awesome. Doc Garrens. Yeah, well, uh, Doc... Um, he was from Councilman. Councilman, So I right. went to swim camps in Indiana. Here I would have met you. I know. I would have met you. Oh my God. Yeah, isn't that incredible? That's so amazing. 
So, um, but I guess Indiana is known for a little car race they have there, huh? The Indy 500, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Tony Holman's the Speedway. Yeah, that's um, very big time. My mom was very big into that. She actually was the flag person one year. Are you kidding? She got to ride in the car. They Ooh. were good friends. Cool. Um, okay, so you go to college. For, first of all, Richard Quick is just a legend, and he was already at Stanford when I was going into college. Yeah. So I'm completely relating to this you know, obsession and pure, I don't know, you're consumed by a sport, right? Right. But you didn't even know anything compared to what the greater world of swimming was all about. So did you burn out right away? Oh, instantly. Oh, going from a thousand yards a day. Yeah, I thought I was going to die. Yeah. And um, Richard was really great. (laughs) Richard was so awesome. I remember he was very much into the mental training, which was the first coach that had, I didn't even have a coach that would train me mentally because in high school they didn't really have coaches because I was in Alabama. But he, he said, where your mind, you know, if you can think it, if you can believe it and you can perceive it, then you can achieve it. So it's mostly if you can think it, you can actually become it. And that year on our swim team, we had Rowdy Gaines, um, we had Bill Forrester, David McCagg, all of these great, amazing swimmers who were training for the Olympics, which actually that Olympic got canceled. So Rowdy would have had thousands of oh more gold medals. Thousands. Was, yeah, thousands. Um, he would have oh, did, been. You ever, did you ever date him? No, no, oh, no. too bad. Gosh, no, He's no. He's pretty awesome. But I do remember like <laughs> Richard would make us go running. And um, I was a really good runner and I didn't like to lift weights, but I would run the three miles or whatever it was. And Rowdy used to hide. He would hide like in a tree until I would come back and then I'd say, okay, it's safe. Let's go back in. Rowdy. Yeah, I'm going to so, have him on the show someday. And we're oh going to relive gosh. those days. Oh my gosh. He was awesome. He was amazing. That is so cool. So yeah. I kind of am starting to understand your values growing up and and the fundamental events that have like shaped your early life and your athletic life just going back to your family a little bit what were what were their big values growing up that really were instilled in you well i think my mom's my mom came from a very wealthy family and she liked to play so she was a little bit country clubbish she liked to play tennis and swim so she dropped us in the pool you know at a young age you know and so we always swam at the elks club and even though I was young, being you know the, you know the younger one of the bunch, I was four, five, and six jumping in the water and needed. I had to swim in eight and unders, so they didn't have six oh, yeah. and unders. No, no, <laughs> so, you're just in it. Five yeah. years old, swimming the laps. You know, you had to swim twenty-five to fifty meters at mm-hmm. that time. And I was like, yep. oh yeah. So it didn't appear long to me. I just did what everybody else was doing. So my mom instilled this really good. I was going to say play ethic, and my dad being he was german um part german anyway and he was much more into the work ethic no play for you yeah so (laughs) no wonder they didn't last long you know my mom was out playing and enjoying life and my dad was like no you need some boundaries and you need some consistency and so i was a push me pull you growing up i was like i just want to play all the time but oh no i have to get things done so i've had that little irish my mom was like almost all Irish and my dad was almost all German. So, you know, I had this little, the Irish people just like to play and drink beer and the Germans are like, let's just get this done and find out more efficient way to, to win at everything. And very determined mm-hmm. and very much, you know, they have that want, they want to win a lot. I mean, they're like, I mean, when we're in Cinque Terre on our Italy trip, you know, I try to pass the German people that are walking, you know, they're like, they won't even let you buy. You know, oh so my gosh, that is hilarious. But you know, I think there's a, a tension there that, you know, to be healthy in life, you need yeah. to have this 
play ethic, work ethic tension. Yes. But to become the best in the world, I imagine the play ethic takes a backseat to the work ethic. Yeah, it did in a way, but everything for me had to be fun. So even though I was out there riding my bike, you know, Aaron Baker and I would make it more of an adventure. Or before I even moved to Colorado, like Scott Moline and I used to get um, these little donut certificates out of the paper, would be buy a dozen, get a dozen free. So we would go to the donut shop, fill our jerseys with like two dozen donuts, and I'm not kidding. And we would just ride 100 or over 100 miles until the donuts were done. I cannot believe you ate a dozen donuts. So we called it the ride. Tour de Donut, and that was like a long time ago. But that's when they used like probably more natural ingredients in donuts. Yeah, than they I kind of do don't think so. Well, maybe, maybe probably 100% sugar, but that was before we got into the healthy phase of our. At least it's not genetically modified sugar. No, no, it's true. Yeah, it was not GMO <laughs> sugar for sure. So uh, let's talk about triathlon. So you kind of burned out of swimming in college, but you always were a swimmer and a runner. So you have this background. So what next? Well, in college, I actually, my freshman year of high school, I mean, freshman year of college, I was a swimmer, and then I, I switched to the track team. So I ran the 800 and the 1500 for Auburn. And I got into running the 800 meter because my roommate was on the track team in college, and they needed somebody to run the indoor two-mile relay. And so, as Forrest Gump would, I go to the relay, and they said, okay, we're gonna give you the baton, and it was an indoor race, and I just flew on this 800 meters. I mean, I had the fastest time. And um, the coach, so, and, and we won the two-mile relay in that event. And you didn't have to hand the baton off? No, I was the last one. I was like, <laughs> give me that thing, and I just took <laughs> off. And, and if fate would have it, you know, the coach asked the swim coach if I could switch scholarships and run spring track. And I was like, thank God, because I didn't know what I was going to do if I had to go swim again, you know, with all those people that were swimming so much. And they didn't never wanted the swimmers to eat very much. They was always have like little diet restrictions. And yeah, that was in the day of, I mean, Richard Quick, he evolved, I think, and he always wanted the best for his athletes, I, I'm pretty sure. But yes. I was in that dec that generation too, where they did weigh-ins. Oh, and absolutely. And they like fat pinchers. And the coach would make comments about you on deck. Absolutely. And it was so disheartening because I've always been a little bit like Winnie the Pooh. You know, like my mentors were my big brother who was a football player and, you know, they ate a lot and they were really strong. But then when I started losing weight, I always felt a little bit wimpy. Mm. So I always had this different kind of body image than most people. I, I go, well, Winnie the Pooh means I'm really strong. I'm really, I'm, I could last, outlast anybody instead of being really thin makes you really strong. So I had a different internal guidance system, which was keeping me healthy. Yeah, that's true. And so you didn't fall prey to all the negative body images. Well, until he cut me off the Hagen dazs <laughs> Who did? Who cut you off that? <laughs> in high school. No, in college. I keep getting those two mixed up. In college, they, um, the Richard and the the coaches decided there was a Hagen dazs place in um, Auburn, and they cut me off. They said, "Don't give this girl any more Hagen dazs It was just you. Yes. Oh, I, I mean, I can imagine if they cut the whole team off. Now this is a problem. Uh, I know. Uh -oh. They cut me off the ice cream. So then I decided, well, the running team will be way better. You know, was so, it? Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> well, the thing is that if you're eating healthily, right? You know, and you're performing well, like it really shouldn't matter. No, absolutely. But in the end, you know. 
it does sometimes come down to for very peak performance to be the number one gold medalist in the world sometimes there are some things that you have to look at as far as your weight goes and oh I, absolutely I, just, I hate that but most people don't fall into that category so we can generalize it a little more and let our play ethic and our treat ethic the treat right. the treat ethic yes yes come out. absolutely i mean when i got more involved in uh, triathlon I knew exactly in the very beginning of triathlon you know it was buy a dozen get a dozen free donuts or twinkieage but then after about two years I really learned how to be healthy as well as fit and mm-hmm. um, because you want to be fit and you want to train right and fueling that is very very important yeah. and I was even sponsored by green magma instead of Gatorade so I was I was actually sponsored by unusual people that I thought were very healthy and um, would help sustain me in a natural way because I didn't do caffeine, I didn't do anything Coca Cola, but I did drink green magma. And I what's green magma? It's like a green barley drink, so it's it's almost like a spirulina, but it oh. actually helps um, the whole body recover better. Has lots of amino acids in it. It helps make you more alkaline instead of acidic. So when you're out there training and racing all day, you know you become more acidic, and so this helps kind of calm the body down a little bit and fuel it you know fuel the cells i loved that so is it does it still exist yes it does we got to put a link to them are you still sponsored by them no no i'm not Too bad i mean they well, were, we're not linking no we, we're gonna link anyway because we all want to check this out yeah it's green magma i think now they have better things or they have they have things that are like so many green things in them you know but you can mm. overwhelm your body i mean you don't want to stuff like Fifty thousand green things in there because I think it confuses it. So staying simple is best. So you know when you talk about um, alkaline versus acidic. Mm-hmm. So this is a, an, a kind of a issue that I I'm very interested in, and um, I know it's the most anti-cancer way to oh. treat your body, yes. right? Yes. And most of the kind of vices that we tend to love put us into an acidic state, like dairy. And I think um, red meats and, you know, various right. other foods and coffee, right? The right. coffee I just drank. But your herbal tea from I the know, tea I'm so spot, excited for this turmeric and, um, have a sip of and this. ginger, that's going to make you mm-hmm. alkaline. But um, I have a question about that. You seem like you might know. So you know how sometimes you can't smell your own breath, usually? Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, you get in a room with someone who has a very, str- almost like a sour breath smell and it in my opinion it's almost always someone who's had like a really hard workout or they're usually oh, really yeah. fit people who have that mm-hmm. is that from being acidic i think it's just a regular detoxing mm. kind of aftermath maybe their liver is still processing um or their their muscles are still like full of <laughs> you know lactic acid so it's probably just an aftermath of training and maybe they're dehydrated as well I so. wouldn't have it today because I barely worked out. Unless I do, do I? No, no. Does the whole room smell like no, that? No, I, could, I could have it from coming back from flying. Because sometimes if you get uh. off an airplane and you're flying for a day or two, it's like a lot. Of, mm-hmm. you have to drink a lot of water and you know, I know, it's do glutathione, things that will help the liver kind of like move the energy. Okay. Move the lymph, basically. Okay, so we're going to, I want to I want to fl- flush through that. I want to talk about this <laughs> a little bit. I want to talk about your triathlon too. Let's Let's go back to triathlon a little bit. Okay. So you get we have into so this, much to talk I know, about. I know. God. So you get into the sport right out of college or during college. Right. Sport it was during triathlon. college, right. So you got into cycling then too. Right. So the cycling actually happened in high school and it has to do with horses again. So when I moved to Alabama, I didn't have a horse and I was all sad. And my brother's girlfriend was going to college for four years and she had an amazing horse named Chivago who was like an... Uh, 
it was like a more of a dressage horse or a jumping horse and so they ride english instead of western and she said do you want this horse and i'm like well yeah i'll take this horse for four years and so i found a place to board the horse but it was 11 miles from where i lived and so i had to ride my bike to back and forth to the horse because running 22 miles a day maybe not yeah. quite as <laughs> well realistic. Two miles, yeah, yeah right i couldn't run that far so i was like forget it so i had to ride there every day you know, check on the horse and be with the horse. I had someone that fed it breakfast, but I would be there every afternoon to be with it and, you know, ride it and take care of it. So that's how I became a cyclist. Wow. So your love for horses and your connection with horses has sort of been in the background the entire time. Absolutely. Oh, that's so cool. Um, you graduated college? Yep. I graduated oh. from Auburn University and, and my undergraduate was basically health, physical education and uh, recreation with a little minor in math, you know, because you want to be able to teach something else if you're going to go. And then because I had an extra semester, I started in exercise physiology, but I didn't um, graduate. I didn't get my master's in that. I started racing and I was whisked off to the world oh my by gosh. that time. I know. So when you started racing, um, triathlon was sort of in a, its early years. Oh, yeah, like in the very early years. So this like was the early-ish like, 80s, mid-80s? Yes, like okay. the, no, the early 80s, like 81, 82. Wow. So I was in... Um, I was in Auburn, Alabama, and my boyfriend was going to go to Oxford, Maryland to do this triathlon. And we hadn't heard of triathlon. I know that sounds weird, but it's about nothing against Alabama, but we're about 20 years behind back then. So I had done a walkathon where you walk and get pennies per mile, you know, and you get sponsors and yeah. everybody does it for MS. And I'm like, well, that sounds great. I don't have time to get sponsors or. Um, and you had to pay an entry fee, which was $50. And as a college student, you know, that's a lot of money. Uh -huh. But he was going to drive up. And so I'm like, well, I'll go with you and support you. This would be really fun. I've never been to Maryland. So we packed the car and we're going up to this triathlon. I didn't even ask him about the triathlon, really. I just said, I'll bring my bike. So you thought it was an event where people were getting dollars to complete a certain amount of miles. Correct. Okay. And then they would donate that money back okay. to whoever, <laughs> you know, to MS. So I didn't even look at it. And the night before, Fletcher Hanks is there, and he's like, he's like going, he's the race director, and he goes, um, I didn't have anything to do, and I, you know, I'm used to doing stuff. So I'm like, well, I'll help you fill these race packets and do all this stuff. And so I got to fill up all the race packets and help him because they did that the night before. Right. And then, um, and then he's <laughs> sitting there and he goes, well, because you helped me, you can do the event tomorrow. And I said, but I don't, I don't have sponsors. And he looked at me like, well, okay. And he goes, well, you can still do it. I'll let you do it. And I'll give you the entry fee and everything. And I was like all excited. I was like, okay, this will be so much fun. And the race was 2.4 mile swim. Oh my, it was long. It was a long swim. It was a um, 20 mile run was second. The run was second. It was weird. 20 miles? Yeah, 20 mile run. And the last part of this was a 50 mile bike ride. And I hadn't, it hadn't really dawned on me if this was a one day or a two day event. I was thinking, obviously, they don't do this in a day. You know, this is crazy. Um, so I got my bike already, and it was an upright bike. It had streamers on it. It had a teddy bear that rode in the front. It had a big, huge front basket, big baskets on the back, had a kickstand, big tires. It was purplishy pink. It was awesomely beautiful with sparkles. And um, I rode it back and forth to classes, so maybe I trained two to three miles a day on this bike except for the going to the horse oh yeah yes as as when mm -hmm. i was younger absolutely so the the race is getting ready to start and i'm like i don't even have an outfit all i had was a speedo and then i had some khaki pants because those were really you know the in thing back yeah. then and i cut the khaki pants off 
And um, I had also gone to the store because I was still in my little Debbie mode from being from Alabama. I got a whole thing of oatmeal cakes. I made a whole loaf of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I got a six pack of Coke. I remember I put my pillow in there. I had like everything I would need for a day or two because I had done a bike tour before. So I'm like, oh, this will be easy. I'll just stick all this food in here. So I get down to the race start and everybody's like stacking their bikes together. And I'm like, oh, those bikes are worthless. They don't have kickstands. And I'm just going to take my bike down to the swim start and put my kickstand down and make my little area. So I did that. Um, the race starts, you know, to make a long story very short, the race starts, starts and I'm right behind the kayak. But because I was a swimmer, I just followed right. the kayak, yeah. you know, and then I get out and I was out first. Oh, I'm the first person out of the water. <laughs> so I didn't know that you would just go exactly to the run. I mean, who would do that? That's crazy. So I stopped and I was starting to clap for people, you know, like, oh, there's going to be more people coming in. This is going to be great. Everybody's going to be together. And everybody was running off and, and going running. Like nobody stopped to chat. No one ate. They didn't do a thing. They just ran and got a different outfit on and went. And that's the in the days when people used to change outfits. Right. So um, I, then these four cute boys were coming out of the water. I'm like, well, I'm going to go with these guys. Because so, they're cute. <laughs> yeah, I'm going with these four cute boys. So we start running. And I tell them, well, you know, I haven't been running a lot at, you know, in Auburn, I was uh, 1,500 meters was the farthest. And we maybe ran three miles. And I did some yeah. cross country for them, but it wasn't like distance. And um, they said, well, let's just keep talking. And that's how I learned about the community and how the power of a group really can help. Because these guys got me to the finish line. Like they would say, oh, we're at 10 miles. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't feel so bad. And then they would tell me another story or, you know, a life story. Wow. Or they, they kept talking to me. And I would tell them stories. And by the, you know, 20 miles was done. And I was like, this was great. And I, I immediately go to the, straight to the beer tent because I'm like, oh, I'm really thirsty. I'm going to have my lunch. I made a huge lunch. Do you guys want it? And they're like, no, no, we're going on the bike. And I'm thinking, these people are crazy. You know, nobody's relaxing. Nobody's, <laughs> everybody's leaving me once again. Because this was a race, not a thon. No. Not it, a walk-a-thon. It was like an event, a race. Mm -hmm. So now I get um, I get ready to ride my bike and I get push my kickstand up and I'm going in five miles. There was an aid station and I'm like, Nirvana, I've hit Nirvana. I go and they have all this food and cookies and I'm like, oh my God. So I eat all these cookies and oranges and then I take a bunch, put it on my bike and now my bike's like over 100 pounds. And I go five more miles. There's another aid station. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't take this. So by like mile 35, I'm like, oh, my God, this is crazy. Um, they had tents. And I'm like, this is, must be where people sleep. Finally, at 35 miles, my crotch was on fire because I didn't have bike shorts. Right. I had like a seam. Yeah. And I was like, this oh. is not, this is no good. I think this is where I should sleep. And I had 15 more miles to go, but I'm like, I'll just do it tomorrow. You know, who cares? And I get off and it was actually the emergency tents where people were laying down. And um, they said, well, what's your problem? And I'm like, well, I'm just going to sleep here. And they're like, well, you know, you have 15 more miles. And I'm like, I know, I'll do it tomorrow. And they go, well, don't, why aren't you going to go? I'm like, well, I didn't collect sponsors, so I don't really have to go. And so then they said, well, let's take her blood pressure. Because they <laughs> Cause thought I, you were crazy. <laughs> you were they loopy. Thought, they thought I was crazy. Totally. And they said, but you're the first woman. And I'm like, well, that's okay. That's nice. You know, I was like, that's nice. And so I just sat, laid there and ate some more food. And by that time, Lynn Brooks, she was a great endurance athlete, the same as Sally Edwards, they were good buddies, had passed. And I ended up getting second in that event. Oh, my gosh. And that event was where Specialized was there. Nike was there. And Bill Woodall from Specialized came up to me right after, and he said, we'd love to give you a bike. And he had this red Allay sitting there, and I'm like, but that bike is red, and there's no kickstand, and there's no place for a basket. And I'm like, nah, nah, I like mine better. 
because I had no and I had no intention of ever making a career out of this oh, or doing Colleen. this and my legs oh. were killing me oh this is just so amazing I just love how what's the word unintentional I mean you just fell into this like the universe kind of opened these doors it did into the most amazing people like the sport of triathlon has it's like finding your tribe right yeah. it's everybody that likes to play everybody that's into health and wellness everybody's into positive yeah. attitude every it's just like finding your tribe right everybody loves to do it so you became a pro and you raced for 10 years yeah and you become the best in the world you were world champion and yeah, u.s national champion i mean you were dominating for a good six to eight years well, I would say I was probably one of the top three, maybe. Yeah. I mean, in the U.S., the I call U.S. That probably did. The U.S. <laughs> maybe dominating. I won the world yeah. in like 1984, and that was really great. And that was in Nice, mm -hmm. France. Yep. And then um, the national championships just kind of fell in my lap. And these were short course, or did you do Ironman? Yes. I did Ironman races, but I didn't really love them. I used to find the training a little bit boring for me. I was like, oh yeah. my god. And then I was sponsored by Nike, and they were actually paying me more money to do the short course. They were like, you know, if you do the United States Triathlon Series, we're going to give you this much as a bonus. And yeah. so it was working out in my favor. And I was like, this is great. Absolutely. So you were the, like in the sport in the days when there wasn't as much support. So your first race was obviously a very unique right, right. situation. But once you started racing pro, I mean, I've heard some of these stories from you where they didn't have like aid stations ready to rumble and you sort of had to fend for yourself oh and gosh. even figure out the course, right? Oh yeah, well that was a, there's so many races like that. You know, you go, but this one that really stands out to me was in La Reunion. It was in the Indian Ocean. So it's in the middle of nowhere, basically. And Jacqueline Stanford, who, uh, her name was Jacqueline Shaw. She was from Calgary, but she was actually used to ride her bike back and forth from LA to Calgary. That's how she got really fit. She's crazy. And yeah, just a um, small ride. They wanted to bring two women, <laughs> two American women and two American men um, over to this race. And they were going to pay us money to go to La Reunion. Well, she forgot to tell me again. She would never tell me it was an Ironman because she knew I would never go. And or how far it was. It took two days to get there. You know, you land in Africa and then you have to keep going. And we get there and it's a French speaking island. So we get there and the other two people that are there are Mike Pig and um, there was another professional male that was there. And so they bring us all over. And the night before the race meeting is in French and they're, they're serving Don Perignon. Oh, my. so we're like, oh, <laughs> my God, this is great. This is great. <laughs> and it's an Ironman course. But by that time, I'm already there and I'm about ready to kill Jacqueline. So in the pre-race meeting, what they forgot to tell us, because La Reunion is a very poor island, was that each team had to have their own support. So like we had to have the water, the food, uh, a little car following us. And we didn't get that memo. Well, yeah, and you couldn't understand the meeting. No, you were all just no. raising glasses. Yeah, and we cheers, were like, this cheers, is great. Cheers. This is great. And uh, wow. so the swim goes off and, you know, come out of the swim, we're on the bike. And the bike ride, this is an um, island, but it has a big, huge volcano in the middle. So it's very hot at the base, but as you climb, it starts to cool off and it usually gets rainy and, you know, actually quite slate, you know, starts to sleet a little bit at mm -hmm. the top. And um, so I'm riding my bike and I'm looking over and the French girl next to me is getting a jacket. She's getting food. And th now this is like 50 miles into the bike ride and I haven't eaten yet or had, I had water on my bike, but I didn't put any bars or anything. And I'm like getting a little bit hungry. And when I get hungry, I get moody. 
Yeah, we, yeah, we can relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh my God. And she's getting pushed by this team and getting a jacket and I'm starting to get really bummed out. And you're like, where's the aid station? Yeah, I was like, where's you're the aid station? Confused. Yeah, I was starting to kind of panic. Like I had, I, I, but I was really hopeful based on my training. I was like, it's got to be right around the corner, obviously. <laughs> and during that time, because I was in Boulder, Colorado, I had learned a lot of different um, mind skills like visualizations and affirmations and, you know, like how to mentally train for things. So I was visualizing that for sure there's going to be an aid station. It's going to happen for me. And then when it didn't happen, so now I'm getting toward the top and I'm now I'm going to have to descend for like 30 miles. You know, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to have to be practical. What do I need? I said, I need a trash can. I need the trash liner. I need anything in the trash can to eat, basically. And within like 30 seconds, I saw a trash can. I actually didn't eat anything in it because I was a little afraid, but I did wear the little bag. And oh I wore the little gosh. bag down the hill, so I looked like the Michelin man with ketchup all over me. And I, But it actually kept me warm, and I put newspapers all over me. That is so smart. And then I rode down the hill. You're so resourceful. Well, you know, being <laughs> one of eight kids makes you that way. And then I get to the, um, to the you know, the, the aid station area to our whole transition area and I see the race director and I'm like living I'm like screaming I'm like what's up with this you know we need aid and he says well Colleen we told you this last night you need to have your own support group and blah 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 and he says come into the VIP tent we need to wash you off because you can't run like that <laughs> for the photos you know <laughs> so they wash me off and, and he said oh and come and have some food and I ate big huge meal and then and then you went out <laughs> then I had to run the marathon and I'm like oh this will keep me I'll be full for a while and there were no aid stations out there. And so I, I took my water bottle with me. So right about mile 18, you know, if you're in running, oh, you're like, yeah. it doesn't matter how much you've eaten before. It's like I was bonking again. I was having hallucinations. I was like, oh, God. And then so I decided, what, would I, what can I visualize? So being from the South, I, my favorite two things were watermelon and fried chicken. Oh, my God. I love watermelon. It's like one of my favorite foods, but so is fried chicken. So I just started dreaming fried chicken. And I seriously, I'm running. And within about a couple minutes, there is this booth, this like white tent. And it has actually, they weren't fried. There were these chickens <laughs> hanging by their necks, but they were cooked. <laughs> and I run in there and there's these baby watermelons and chickens. The two things in that tent were watermelons and chicken. What? Seriously. This is what we call willing it to happen. Yes. I mean, it was like, whoa. Are you sure it happened? It wasn't a dream? No. You didn't it, hallucinate? No, it could have actually. No, it was for real because I ate it. And I went in there <laughs> and I was thinking this big, tall, black man was looking at me like, hmm, you cannot steal the food. And I was like, and I knew he would outrun me at this point. Yeah. I'm like, oh my, and, he'll, and I'll have to stay in jail. And I was, so then I decided I would give him my race watch. So I traded him my race watch for two, um, two watermelons, two baby watermelons and two chickens. So I'm like, okay, so I eat the watermelons. I'm all happy. I eat most of one chicken. And then I have a whole nother chicken. But I know that I have at least seven miles to go. So there's no way I'm going to give up this chicken. So I'm like, I thank him. I filled up my water bottle. I'm like going on my way. And I'm running and this chicken is so heavy. It's in my hands. So I keep passing it back and forth. And, it, and then finally, I'm like, forget it. I'm going to break it up and I'm going to put it in my pants in my bathing suit and so I'm running down the road with a chicken seriously hanging out the back of my pants and then oh the, the wing was on one side and I would just like eat a little piece of it and keep going oh. 
It was so funny. It was oh, so funny. Oh, do we have photos of this? I don't know. I was on the Pioneer Triathlon team at that oh time. God. And um, we have got to we find, find the photo of this. You guys, we have a job. I don't even know if they did um, pictures back in the day. But anyway, Mike Pig, I was getting toward the finish line. I was like, it was dark. I'm sure that I was almost the last person in, right? And so... Mike Pig was running toward me because he was really worried. He was like, something's happened to Colleen. She hasn't come across the finish line. It's like three hours after she should have been here, you know? And so he had chocolate with him. And that's the other thing I was dreaming of. I go, if I could only have chocolate, I could probably make it the last mile. Oh. And he brought me a chocolate bar. He goes, if I found you, I would know that you would have to have a chocolate bar. And so in that race, like Jacqueline dropped out and she had to have intravenous IV. Um, Let's see, Mike dropped out and the other person that was with him dropped out. I wish I, I'll, I'll remember the name and give it to you. And then, so they had all dropped out because uh, we're not going to get aid. We're not going to do this race. And I was just like, dun, dun, like Indiana Jones. With, dun, da, 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 dun, da, da. <laughs> there she goes dun, da, 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 with the cape. Dun, da, da, da. <laughs> no, it's true because that's the song I used to sing at start lines. Yeah. It would help me change my perspective from it being like this crazy triathlon event to like an adventure. Yeah. Yeah. The Adventures of Colin Cannon yeah, so, and the Chicken. <laughs> and the Chicken. Oh. I mean, you really had to be there. It was very funny at the time. It was life-saving at the time. But to run with a chicken, it's 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 hard. You know, I'm sure it's hard running with a chicken. <laughs> but you know, what it brings us all back to is that every race has a story if you allow yourself to look at it that way. Absolutely. You could have looked at this race very negatively. You could have dropped out. Those guys don't have the chicken story. No, it's true. You've got the chicken story. And I got to use my tools because I had just been learning how to like focus my mind on getting you know the positive instead of the negative. Yeah. And kind of saying, well, visualize what you want. Well, and that's such an important thing in life and everything we do. I, mean, I want to move us. I just want to keep talking. We're going to... We we're could already, go forever. We've already gone long. <laughs> you don't even want to know where we are. But... Um, I want to talk about your next stage. So, you know, triathlon ended for you. Right. And, and Women's Quest began. Was right. Was that intentional? Yes. Okay. So I was in Boulder again, and I was living in Boulder, Colorado, and they were having an, a Native American gathering. Um, and it just happened to be just a few blocks from my house. So I was living on Spruce Street, and they were having it in one of the churches there. Okay. And the Hopi Indians were giving a prophecy for 2000, for the year 2000. So this is the mm -hmm. 1992. And I'm out for a run, and I see this thing happening. I'm like, I definitely have to go and be a part of this. And because it was full, they escorted me down to the front, and I had to sit on the, you know, right near the front. And I was like, this is going to be interesting. So they were giving the prophecy of the planet and what was going to happen to the earth and the human race. And it was not good. You know, they're basically talking about the resources that we have and um, the negative impact and what was going to be happening. And I was super sad about that because as an athlete, you're out there riding your bike all of the time. And right. I, I had already moved from California to Colorado because of the air quality and the water quality out there. It was just too bad. It was really bad for breathing. And anyway, so I... Um, at the end of this, I end up sitting down. I'm still there. I'm kind of in shock. And seven of the Hopi Indians come around me. And I stand up. I'm thinking I'm in trouble or something. And they said, women will save the planet. And so they say it three times. They said, women will save the planet. And by the last time, they said, women will save the planet. I'm like kind of in tears already. And I get like goosebumps. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I'm thinking, well, I'm a triathlete. I have to think about my next massage, my granola that I'm going to eat, my bike maintenance and my training. And I'm like, well, why are you telling me this? I, as I was thinking in my head, and I'm like, well, I'll go try and be a better person. You know, and I left. And um, about six weeks later, I'm in the, the race in um, 
we had a national championship in Lake Mead in Las Vegas. And I'm in that race and it just hit me. It's like, I have got to do something more. I've got to be able to help and give back. And there was a Dairy Queen and Karen Smyers and I were duking it out on the bike. I remember I was climbing up the hill and I just like, I saw the Dairy Queen and I just pulled off into the Dairy Queen. And I pulled off, Karen kept going and there was a camera that kind of followed me in there and they were like, what are you doing? You can't get aid. I'm like, I'm done. I have to do something else. I have to do something well, to, first to be I able have to, to give have back. Ice cream, and then I have to do something <laughs> else. <laughs> first, I have to have an ice cream because I made it this far. Oh my gosh! It I, was. It happened during a race. Yes, I stopped the race because it was just like a flip of a switch. Wow. It was like on off. I could feel myself. The politics of the race were getting to me. People were talking about you have to have your helmet on this way and not that way, and people were very rude. You know, the the sport had gotten into be very cutthroat at that time. And it has moved since then into better phases. But at that time, well, people it, were just getting managers and money was very important and sponsors were very important. The things that drew you to triathlon were no longer there for you. Right. And a sign came at exactly this time. And I knew I could, I sensed it, I knew it. And I pulled off. So I had a pretty good intuition. And about a week or two later, I was going to um, Hind, which was a clothing company mm -hmm. in Northern California in San Luis Obispo. And Greg Hind was a big friend of mine, and I helped him with his four women only line and helped him with his clothes. And he said, um, "Well, what are you going to do now?" And we, we're having an editor retreat this weekend, and you know, I was part of that. And so I told the editors, "Well, I'm going to start a retreat for women." And they said, "Well, what's the name?" And I'm like, well, I have to tell you tomorrow because <laughs> it was a three-day event. You didn't even know. No, I didn't even know. So I, I'm like, well, it's kind of a quest. It's like a women's quest. It's a quest to find the, the, most, the most beautiful self that you can be or your most empowered self. And through, you know, doing sport, through using your mind, and it's a spirit-filled journey, basically. So I wanted it to be mind, body, and spirit. And so they said, well, we're going to start writing about it. And it just happened to be 12 of the major magazines. And they started writing about it. And then people started calling me because we didn't have internet. We didn't have, we didn't have anything that I could have told anybody, like, I'm going to do this and that it would happen. And I was really fortunate that Nike kind of stepped on board and Hind was there. And they said, well, we still want to support you in doing this. And this was well before it was cool to do yoga. And well before it was cool to do meditation yeah. or the physical and the fact that I combined them all because that's how I had been racing. You know, I had used all of that in my sport too. You And there was this kind of save the planet side. Absolutely. So I knew that if I could kind of spark or soul spark the, the feminine generation, the females, that they would pass down to their children and their husbands. And even at that time, it hadn't been documented, but the women were the ones that were spending the money. Mm. They were the ones that actually knew what to do and where to put their focus. And if I could do that, then it would trickle down to the planet. So wow. that was my initial um, spark that led me to start Women's Quest. You know, honestly, I think you created a category because like retreats are trending and women's specific has been on the radar for over 10 years now and whatever. But you were in the very early stages. You were maybe the first. Well, it was 25 years ago. You created categories. But women's I knew that, only and yeah. women's retreats. Wow. And I knew That's I didn't incredible. want to just go and do boot camp because when I looked no. out there, there was like boot camp people or you could go mm -hmm. sit and do Vipassana for 12 days, which is very hard in yoga. 
You know? Okay, so tell, tell us, what does a retreat look like? We're coming all the way back to the beginning of the oh, episode. Oh, yay. Well, the retreats are different depending on where you're going. Um, but if you're going to do Costa Rica surf and yoga, like we'll go to a different country, you get to learn about the culture. But we'll also do yoga twice a day. So we have a morning practice, which is more like qigong and awakening the senses practice to like help you wake up and move the lymph, different ways to de-stress your body. Healthy food, healthy eating, healthy nutrition. We always have different talks about the heart's desire or the hero's journey or different ways to empower the women and figuring out what they want in their life and what they need to let go of and, and kind of mentally prepare them <laughs> in a way. But we also have something fun and playful. So because I'm so physical, you know, there wouldn't, we couldn't do it without surfing mm-hmm. or doing the zip line or mm-hmm. hiking and running and all of these things. Because that really, I think, is my, builds my joy the fastest is movement. So yes. we got to move. You do, and it's it it combines all three right. more than if right. you just did the yoga and the mindfulness part. Right. Um, you do have a, a mini retreat coming up in June in Boulder. I know. It's Tell us be about so it. Fun. Well, I'll have I'll have a note in the show notes. I'll have okay. a link to it for sure. But tell us about it because I bet you some people may be able to make time for oh, that. Oh, that's going to be great. It's going to be a three day retreat um, because I usually have like five to six to seven to eight to nine day retreats, and I figured that there's not. It's not, you know, people can't get away for that much time. And so I'm like, I'm going to do a mini sampler. Um, So we'll be doing lots of hiking. The first two days will be at Chautauqua Park hiking and doing yoga, um, doing a strong balance class with Brenna from Coa Fit. We'll be doing um, yoga. And then we'll have Lorraine Muller, who's a four-time Olympian in the marathon. She'll be doing her talk on the hero's journey. We love her too. Yeah, and on Friday night, we're going to be coming by Crimson Clover and Skirt Sports for a little happy hour and Oops. some motivational fun We just time. threw that one in there, a little yeah, self-promo. So Friday night we'll be there, Saturday we'll be at Chautauqua, and then Sunday we're going to go up to Nederland and hike up high. Oh, good. And then, you know, have a little Nederland time because you got to be in the mountains. Absolutely. So I mean, that's amazing. And that is in uh, June 23rd, 24th, and 25th. Perfect. Okay. And that's... That one's a little more like on the cost side, it's right. a lot lower because yes. you're local. Right. It's mm-hmm. like $325. And so it's, it's... It's like a steal. I know. It's a steal. It really is because you want people... The one thing that I found out about Women's Quest is that people want community. They do. Yeah. And they're trying to find their tribe. Like, you know, they're trying to mm-hmm. find where they fit in and supportive people. And you couldn't get more support than like you and Skirt Sports and the Crimson Clover group. I know. It's and just great. all the people in Boulder. It's like really... It's kind of bringing everybody together that's yep. local, that we live in every day, that other people aren't as fortunate to kind of get yeah. empowered by this Oh, it's going to be energy. so great. So I do want to hit on one more topic. We're so long here, but I think we could go forever, right? I, we really could. <laughs> um, one thing that I think is really interesting, people have asked me to do shows on this, so I may have to do a follow-up, like full show, is the topic of menopause. Oh, my gosh. And so, you know, because you're so old, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the point is I'm in my mid-40s and I could mm-hmm. be in perimenopause right now, and, and I probably am. And um, I do think there's not a whole lot of research out there or real people documentation of what happens to active women as they get older, what to expect, when does it hit, how does it F with your mind? Oh my God, it, it about killed me. My husband said, while I was in the middle of it, he said, who are you and what have you done with my wife? You know, he's like, oh my God, you are completely different. You know, I'm normally a very happy, buoyant person. I love life. I would wake up being so happy. Um, 
premenopause and menopause threw me for a loop. It was two years of hell. And because I'm such a natural athlete, I mean, I would drink green magma. I learned all about meditation. I meditated twice a day for like 15 years. I um, I learned all about the Ayurvedic herbs to use. I had panchakarma, which was something that you do for your body to help uh, regenerate and everything. It's like a massage that you do. So oh, I was basically doing everything as an athlete to help be the best and really watching my adrenals and my kidneys and all the energies that get depleted. Like, how did you know you were entering men? How did you know that the, the issues you were having were related to menopause? Well, I started probably about 47, 48. I started um, getting a little bit more anxious, um, not being able to focus and having these night sweats. Oh my God. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm in perimenopause. Yeah, I was like <laughs> losing my mind. And because I wasn't sleeping, and sleep for me is the most important thing. Like I sleep eight or nine hours all the time. Lay down, fall asleep, no problem. I would lay down and my mind would just keep going like crazy. And, and then you panic. And then I couldn't sleep and then yeah. I was panicked and it became even worse. So then I decided, well, I'm going to do the natural route. Of course, I'm so natural. I don't even take aspirin or Advil or anything. Right. And I'm like, well, I'm going to do acupuncture. So I did acupuncture. I did cranial sacral work to help the fluid mm -hmm. stay moving. I did massages. I cut out sugar. I cut out wine. I cut out gluten. I, you know, I did don't everything. Don't tell me you cut out your chocolate. No, never. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I never cut out. Well, that could be the culprit. No, but I cut out everything they told me to. And still I was having massive and by that time I'm having like panic attacks I'm like and I'm leading groups of women and the other thing that was n natural for me was I wanted to be alone I wanted to seclude myself I, I didn't want to have interaction with people it was just this natural phase of I felt like I wanted to go into a cave I just want to be by myself and um, and that's very different for you yeah and the real world was pulling me out you know you got to be front and center so I was I had this push me pull you thing going on so finally, after two years of losing my mind, and I was searching for doctors that knew. I would go to male doctors. They had no information for me. Finally, I went to nurse practitioners. They wouldn't even listen to my story. They just said, here, get a blood test. I didn't know it was this simple. Get a blood test, and we're going to put you on these hormones. And that freaked me out. I was like, no, I'm afraid to take anything. I can't take a hormone. And so finally, after about, this is now two and a half, three years later, I went to a nice little gynecologist who, she was a female, she understood, she walked me through the process, told me exactly what was happening so that I wasn't fearful, that I wasn't afraid. I'm like, okay. And she gave me the lowest dose of an, a bioidentical hormone. And even though there's all this information out there that they're bad, I was like, look, I've got to take this or I'm going to kill somebody. <laughs> It's like, okay, either jail time or I'm taking well, this. You didn't get divorced? No, I know. My husband is so amazing. Like he hung in wow. there with me. I mean, there's so many times where even one time I was on the airplane and once you have a super hot flash, the people around you start sweating. So there was this pilot next to me because he was taking the flight um, and he was sitting next to me and he kept talking to the stewardess. He goes, oh my God, can you turn on the air conditioner? Look, this poor woman next to me is sweating. And then, then she turned on the air conditioning. But after you have a hot flash, you get a cold flash. And then you're like freezing to death because you're like all sweaty. Now you're freezing. Totally. So he was trying to manage the the airplane no <laughs> and the poor stewardess was like, we have the air conditioner on. Now we have the heater on. And he didn't know. I didn't have the heart to tell him. I'm like, look, it's me. I'm an internal volcano. I would love to let you know this, but I'm too embarrassed. Oh. But it's like people think they're going crazy and you are. 
And like um, the thing with athletes, I think, is we're pushing it. You know, we are um, kidney yin energy is what the acupuncturists are calling it is low. So even though I had done meditations and I ate really good food and I took, you know, time to be still and I was trying to be healthy as well as fit, I got hammered in it because I like, I love life. I like to move. I like to keep doing things and celebrating yeah. life every moment. And it's really a time of like going inward and resting and restoring all of your organs. So wow. I actually took this um, bioidentical and you you actually often need to take progesterone as well. So you can get little bits of cream and work with it and work with somebody that will work with your blood work. And they have so many options now. There's people that even do it with the moon cycle, so it's more natural. Whoa, that but it's is very so cool. hard to find somebody. And I'm going to research it and find the best person because there's lots of different things that are out there and there's just so much to choose from yeah. that you don't know. So I started with what the um, gynecologist was telling me was a whiff. You can have a whiff because I was too worried to go, like, go full throttle. Mm -hmm. So I'm still on a little bit more than a whiff of this patch. I'm not as what most normal people take because I'm highly sensitive, so I can just take a little bit of each of it. And it made me, I was able to sleep. I, my moods came back. I wasn't anxious anymore because I'm not typically anxious ridden or fearful. Mm -hmm. And that just filled me up. Yeah. And um, I worried a lot more. And so this really helped balance and it balanced me out. And I know that you know, like um, Dr. Christian Northrup, she has a lot of stuff online as well. Okay. But she also up. has different things that you can take, and I took them, and they didn't do one thing for me. So there's going to be people that you can take different things that don't really help. The one thing that did help me that I la later found out was this black cumin seed. So it's that um, packet of seeds that I take. It's uh, the seed, oh, yeah. the oil, and the husk. Okay. So black cumin seed is like you know, the ferals were buried with it. It, But the main things that it does is it's anti-inflammatory and, you know, so anti-aging. It keeps the certain mm -hmm. one gene alive, you know, so yeah. it helps your hair, skin, So because it's like essential fatty acid because you're getting the seed, the oil, and the husk. Yes. And so, so is that that company that you were uh, doing a little promo video yeah, for? Yeah, it's cool. called Soul, but Soul. it's... Um, Call me if you're interested in it. I can tell you more. But it's basically has, um, it's antioxidant. And as an athlete, we're always trying to find like an antioxidant because we're burning yeah. so much. And uh, so it really helps the free radicals And would damage. this be good to take even if you aren't going through medical? Oh my God, everybody yeah. should be on this. Okay. Especially athletes, but people that have um, blood sugar problems, people yeah. that are worried about cancer, yeah. people that are... Um, just wanting to live a healthy, vibrant life, you know, yeah. doing the best that they can do. And because a lot of the foods that are out there now don't have all the supplementation that you need. And I've, you know, even when I was racing, I didn't take a lot of supplements. I just took specific ones that I knew that would work for me. Right. Different B vitamins, different things like that. Yeah, getting Absolutely. good Because there's a lot out there. And it's this one lady in my last retreat was saying, have you heard of this product? Basically, when I looked it up online, it had a lot of major caffeine in it and guarana. And I'm like, oh my God, that's going to push you over the edge. Right. So there's a lot of diet products. And the thing is, you just want to be healthy. And healthy is a mind, body, and spirit. That's true. So find things for your mind that can help you be uplifted. Find things in your body that really support you and nourish you and a good community around you, like what you're developing at Skirt Sports has this really mm -hmm. fantastic, positive community of people that you bring together every month. Well, and daily on your on yeah. your podcast and things. That's hugely important for women and men. 
It bringing is. the like-minded people together. Well, if you are in Boulder on May 9th, you need to come out to Skirt Sports Women Run the World event because Colleen is one, doing one of our test talks. Yay! Woo! We're going to come up with your word soon. Uh, my word will word. be play. All right, done. We already picked it. <laughs> Easy. So we have gone an hour and two minutes. Oh, my God. Yeah. You're kidding me. So we're down to the final question. So yes. I ask this of everybody. If you could leave our listeners with one thing, one final nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would your final life lesson nugget be? Hmm. Well, I think it kind of boils down to this um, poem that I like. It's by Rilke. And it goes like this. God speaks to each of us as he makes us, then walks with us silently into the night. These are the words you dimly hear. You, sent beyond your recall, go to the limits of your longing and embody me. Flare up like a flame and make great big shadows that I can move in. Let everything happen to you. Beauty and terror. Just keep going because no feeling is final. Don't let yourself lose me. Nearby is the country they call life, and you will know it by its seriousness. Give me your hand. Let's let everything happen to you, but just don't let lose that connection of that awesome divine wonder woman that you are. Wow. I love it. And don't take it so serious. Get out and play. Get out and play, folks. Thanks for coming on. Yay, this is so fun. I love my tea. Awesome. There we'll leave it. <laughs> All right, you guys. What you don't know is that after the episode, we went out and jumped on the trampoline for a while. And all I can say is that Colleen still has the energy of my five-year-old. <laughs> she can totally jump like a pro. Um, it's just a testament to the fact that through her hilarious stories, run some serious deep threads of wisdom, like her work and play ethic balance game, her wake up moment that came during that surreal Native American ceremony where she was literally called out to help women save the planet. And then how she just merged the, the, the mind, body, spirit into an experience that helps women flip the switch on their lives. And funny how we're only ready to see things like that after, after you know, our time is there. And that later, it, it seems so obvious. Well, wasn't I meant to do that all along? Funny how that works, huh? Well, anyway, the point is we see things when we're ready to see them. In my opinion, I'm just so grateful for the work Colleen is doing in the world. I can't wait to go on this Costa Rica surf and yoga retreat, as I mentioned earlier on. Um, if you want to check out her Women's Quest retreats, and I really suggest that you do, you can sign up for any of them in 2017, including the 2018 Costa Rica one I keep mentioning, um, and you get 200 bucks off for any of the week-long retreats. Just use the code SKIRTSPORTS. If you have any issues, just mention the podcast, mention me, mention SKIRTSPORTS. They'll know what you're talking about. I just have a feeling they will change your life in ways you can't yet imagine. All right, folks, that's enough for today. You know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout. I'll see you next week.